as long as I'm better than you. What do you think of that title? Here we have two goldfish wondering which one's better. Well, he looks like he's got a bigger bowl. Well, he looks like a bigger fish. I don't know, this comparison game. The Mars Climate Orbiter, anybody remember hearing about that? It actually shot off back in 1999. I realize some here weren't even born in 1999. Makes me feel old. But this uh, probe was sent off to go to the planet of Mars and to gather data and all kinds of things. But much of that is not even talked about. What's talked about is something quite different in terms of this. Here they are building it. It was 327.6 million uh, for the orbiter and the lander. How do you have student loans? You could use a little help with, right? Well, you help pay for this. Thank you very much. Uh, that wasn't all the cost. 193.1 million for the spacecraft development. So that was important. Maybe you're adding some of these numbers up. 91.7 million just for the launch. You didn't know that all this cost so much, did you? Well, you should be aware because again, you're paying for it. And then 42.8 million just for mission operations. So all of that came, and here they're building this thing that you can see here on the screen. There's an actual picture of it. Um, <clears throat> you can't go visit and see unless it's a replica, uh, and you'll find out in a little bit. But the total cost to put this together was $563.5 million. I hope you are going to benefit from uh, all of this technology. Here is, is kind of a, a depiction of what it's supposed to look like as it's hovering around Mars and all the stars behind it. And it was supposed to do, I don't know how familiar you are with space, but they oftentimes have all these little rockets on the sides. Once they get it launched and they get it in outer space, that's the hard part oftentimes. And then they might orbit around the Earth, and then they get up a little bit of speed and fire just a little bit to leave our orbit in the right direction. I mean, there's a lot of math involved here, right? Exactly the right direction, because if they're off just a hair and they have to make a few course corrections, but they want to get as close as they can, and they're traveling super fast to get to some of these destinations. And then they try and match the orbit or, or line up with the orbit of the other, whether it be the moon, whether it be Mars or another planet, they want to get into that orbit. And if they get in there too quickly or, or, or too aggressively, they'll go into the atmosphere and burn up. We call those shooting stars, right? This would be a very expensive shooting star. And then if you go in too lightly, you kind of bounce off like a rock skipping off a pond. And so you had to get all this math just right. Well, when they were, they had, you know, they had the launch, they were up in space, they left our orbit, they were on their way to Mars, and I believe it was, what, 286-day journey to Mars. I didn't calculate the speed they'd have to go to get there, but anyway, you can do that this afternoon. So on September 23, 1999, it fired its engines to enter orbit of Mars, but there was a problem. They fired much too long. What's happening? What's going on? How come it's still firing? Our, our, our calculations are going to be off. What's going on? And before they could figure it out, this thing was lost. This was the projection, the actual trajectory, and the planned trajectory. It's a little bit off there. You see the difference? And so what happened to this nice 500 and whatever million dollar thing that you paid for? Burned up. Do you want to know why? Well, it all had to do with a tiny little detail. Because Lockheed Martin used a program on their computer that used English units, and NASA used the more customary around the world metric units, and they didn't realize 
Is that a big oops? That's a pretty big oops. Do you think that was a little bit embarrassing? Yeah, yeah. And so a waste of $563 million because the wrong measurement tool was used. Wow. I want to talk this morning a little bit about measurement tools. Maybe some of you work in a workshop and you have a jig. If you know what a jig is, it's not where I stand up here and do da 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 That's not what I'm talking about. A jig in a workshop is where you cut something exactly to a certain length or width or whatever, and you, you, oftentimes I will recommend you write on it jig or something so it doesn't get confused with all the others, and you use that one over and over and over to know exactly the length, let's say. But has anybody ever somehow on the job site, maybe you're not in your workshop or wherever, and you think this is the jig, but you're not quite sure, and you keep getting it mixed up, or you somehow grab something that's not the jig at all, and you make all of these slats for a railing, or all this or all that, and all of a sudden you find out when you're putting something together, it's two inches short. And in fact, you made them all two inches short. You used the wrong measurement tool. Has anybody had this experience? You're making chocolate chip cookies, and it calls for a teaspoon or maybe three, I don't know how many, teaspoon of salt, something like that, and you put in a tablespoon of salt. Does that make a difference? I heard a story the other day where someone confused salt and sugar. How that happened, I don't know. But I wouldn't want to taste that, would you? The wrong measurement tool can make all the difference in the outcome. And so if you brought your Bibles, I encourage you to look in Luke chapter 18 at a parable that Jesus tells. Right. Looking at this idea of what measurement tool are we to use. So we're in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 18. And we're beginning in verse 9. It says, he also, he spoke, he being Jesus, this parable to some, and notice this little detail, who trusted in who? Themselves. Good, you found the passage, that they were righteous and despised others. Now stop right there. Here you have a group that he's telling this to that trust in themselves. Is that a problem? Who are we supposed to trust in? In God. But they're not trusting in God. They're trusting in themselves, their righteous works. The fact that they don't know how to follow the rules. I mean, after all, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I pay my tithe. In fact, I hate to talk about this because I'm so humble, but I pay a double tithe. I have perfect attendance at prayer meeting. In case you don't know what that means, it means I've never missed. The very first one, I was two days old. My mother brought me. I haven't missed one since. I'm a, a vegan, by the way. I never fudge on that. There's no exceptions, even on my birthday. You know, and the list goes on and on. Of all the things that they do, that they're so confident in. Now, I'm not trying to put down our church or our message or paying tithe or any of these things, but if we allow those to become what we put our confidence and trust in, our own righteousness, ourselves, now, that can be a real big problem, right? And notice the other part of this verse. Those that trusted in themselves that they were righteous, pious, 
holier than thou, that means holier than you, by the way, and despised others. That's typically the case. When you feel like you have it all together, is you start to look down on everybody else. Did you see what they were wearing today? Can you believe it? I wouldn't be caught dead in something like that. Did you hear what they said? I couldn't believe the words that came out of his mouth. I wasn't very impressed with the sermon today. thought it was kind of shallow. If I was up there, I'd be telling them, I'd be bringing it down. Whatever it is, they despise everybody else. They look down on everybody else. And by the way, it probably has to do a little bit with their own insecurity. Because in order for me to look good, I have to make other people look bad. And so this is a parable that Jesus tells to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And as a result, they despised, looked down on, talked bad about, singled out. Well, I didn't say anything wrong. Yes, but you gave stink eye. They thought they were righteous, but they gave stink eye to everybody else. Verse 10. So two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. This is a very pious individual, right? Follows the law, has huge sections of Scripture memorized, if not all the Old Testament. And the other, a tax collector. Oh, my. These poor tax collectors. Shame, shame, shame. It's really sad, isn't it? And we use all these poor words. I mean, he just, there's no way that they're going to be in the kingdom, these tax collectors. They're just ruthless people, and, and they, all, they all cheat. They're all terrible. They're all bad. You know the type. It's just too bad. And we cover it up here in the South. We say something, you know, we say all these nasty and horrible things about somebody, but then we just kind of make it okay by saying, bless her little heart. <laughs> I mean, poor thing. She's as ugly as sin. Bless her heart. So a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed this, verse 11, with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Now there's a bold legalist who says, I'm going to heaven on myself and myself alone. Have you ever met one of those? I haven't. So this isn't a bold legalist either. It says, God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that I'm such an amazing person. It's a little trickier, right? It's not the bold legalist. I'm thanking God for the power that he's made available to me that I can be such a wonderful person. God is so good. I mean, just look at me. <laughs> wow. God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people in the church. You know, those ones that aren't real committed. The ones that don't follow all the 28 fundamental beliefs. The ones that kind of fudge on the edges. The ones that eat things that they shouldn't eat. The ones that, you know, and we go on and on with our lists. The ones that listen to music they shouldn't listen to. And we go on and on and on. Lord, I thank you 
that I'm not like those people. I mean, we're in the shaking. They're being shaken out. I'm so thankful that I will never be shaken out, that I'm grounded in you. I'm so good because of you. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those other men and women that are just not quite as committed as I am. We better keep going. Like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, yeah, this poor little tax collector. Bless his heart. In case you forgot God, maybe I should remind you, I, I fast. I'm up to twice a week now. Yeah, I went to the Daniel fast. I'm juicing. I feel great. Yeah. I give tithes of all I possess. Yeah. And then verse 13. Well, I better pause. I think I have another slide here. No, we're not, we're not there yet. Okay, I, was just, I, had to, I had to cheat a little bit. Verse 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. but beat his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, if I were to ask you which one you were, what would it be? Don't say it out loud. Just think inside your, your mind. What would it be? Are you the Pharisee or are you the tax collector? It's kind of a trick question because if you say, well, I'm the tax collector, then maybe actually you're the Pharisee because you've heard this story before. You know who the good guy is. You know who the bad guy is. And you're telling yourself internally, you're the good guy, not the bad guy, which would make you the Pharisee instead of the tax collector. Are you with me? Standing afar off, you not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And maybe that's all he says because he or she is crying, is upset, feels the weight of their sin, the weight of their guilt. They know they're guilty. They know they're lost in, in every sense of the word, except God has mercy. It's the only way. And this person isn't there pleading for God for just a little bit of mercy because I have it mostly. He's saying, God, without your mercy, without your grace, I am hopelessly and utterly lost. In verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. End of story. Two worshipers, two prayers, two measuring rods, one acceptance. Right? Measuring rod number one, beholding self in the light of others. It's a lot easier to compare myself with somebody else because I can just find somebody else that, well, quite honestly, makes me look good. 
and I can find somebody that makes me look good and allows me to keep the things that I want to keep and that I want to cherish. And so we're really good at measuring rod number one, beholding self in light of others. Well, I can wear this. I saw so-and-so wearing this. I saw this person going here. I saw this person eating that. And so it must be okay. Friends, I have news for you. That person is not the standard. Well, I've been to churches and I've heard pastors preach and I've heard them say, I'm sorry, but they're not the standard. God's word's the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. Right? All this stuff about comparing ourselves within ourselves and to ourselves, it's an it's a exercise in futility. We need to compare ourselves. I don't even know if compare is the right word, but we need to behold Christ. And when we behold Christ, all of a sudden, this idea that I'm so great just kind of dissipates. As I behold the cross, as I behold what he took in place of me, taking what I deserved, and owning that, saying, yeah, I deserve that. Measuring rod one is in judging myself in light of others. Measuring rod number two, beholding self in light of Christ. There's a small difference, but it's a huge difference. Like English to metric. Seems like a small deal, but I tell you, it's a huge deal. Who do you compare yourself with? Who do you behold? Who do you feel the standard is? And are you living up to that standard? And when you come before God, is God just really so lucky to have you? Or are you just so overwhelmed with the grace and the mercy that he's shown you? We have Cain and Abel. Cain brought not a sacrifice for his sins, he brought a thank offering. Kind of similar to the first guy in the story. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. Abel, on the other hand, brought a sacrifice. By the shedding of blood, there's remission of sins, and he put that on the altar. Again, you had two worshipers, two gifts, two measuring rods, one acceptance. Yeah, the disciples, they're bickering about who's better than the other. Who's going to be in what place? Who's going to be in what role? And their focus is on self, isn't it? It's not on Christ. In fact, James and John, their mother even went, can my, can my boy sit at your right hand and at your left? And when Jesus tried to call their attention to this, Peter said, not me, Lord. I would die first. They were quite confident in their own self-righteousness. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Let him who thinks he stands take take heed, lest he would do what? Fall. If you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. Measuring rod number one, beholding self in light of others. It's I and me in light of them and you. God's not part of the equation. He's not there. I like Revelation 3.17, but it's a little bit scary too. You say, I'm rich. I become wealthy. I'm in need of nothing. I have it all. I have 14 Bibles at home, and every one of them is marked up. 
I have an understanding of the message. I have 3 ABN. I pay my tithe. I do all these wonderful things. I come to prayer meeting. I'm involved. I'm on the church board. I'm this. I'm that. And you think you're wealthy and in need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Don't tell me that. That's offensive. You have no idea the time I put in, the hours that I put in. I'm not in need of those things. Yeah. You do not know. I think of this in Christ Object Lessons. We're studying this book, by the way. We've chosen just this week to slow down because there's just so much there um, that we just can't go that fast. But it says there is nothing. How much? Nothing. So offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all sins, it is the most hopeless, the most incurable. Why? Because I don't have a problem. You do. I've got it all figured out. How can you help somebody if they don't know that they even need help? You go to any meeting, whether it be AA or NA or anything else, step number one. Hi, I'm David Wright, and I have a... No, I don't. Is that what this is? I thought this was someplace else. Bye. Because I'm prideful. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I'm just fine. Nothing so offensive to God. Measuring rod number two. What happens when you and I behold Christ? What happens? It ought to change us. It ought to move us just a little bit, shouldn't it? Maybe more than even just a little bit. It ought to move us a lot. And as I look around this congregation, and I need a mirror too, I don't see one of us here that really should approach God and say anything else but God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's where we are. That's where you are. That's where I am. We need God. Matthew 5, verse 3, some of the first words Jesus says officially, one of his first official declarations here, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What? The poor in spirit? No. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think we could read it, blessed are those who recognize and sense that they are spiritually impoverished. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I can bless that person. They know they need me. Here's another quote before we separate here. Christ's object lessons again. And I love this. She talks about how there's nothing even in ourselves that we can surrender ourselves. We need God in order to surrender ourselves, right? And this is a beautiful prayer we can pray. Christ's Object Lessons 159, jot it down. Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. Does anybody resonate with those words? I can't give it. I've tried to give it, and it, it doesn't seem to work like I want it to work. Lord, you have to do it. Take my heart, for I cannot give it. It's 
thy property. It's yours. And Lord, I need you to keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. It's God's work from the beginning to the end. She continues on, save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. That's what we need. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere. God, you've got to do this. I need you to mold me. I need you to fashion me. I need you to raise me to a holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. That's the prayer that we need to pray. Not this, Lord, thank you so much that I'm not part of this spiritual formation and all this other. Again, don't get me wrong, but when we're praying prayers like that, there's a problem. And I imagine the Lord hears those prayers and he says, yeah, you're right, they have an issue, but you're blind to the fact that you have an issue. You're looking down on everybody else all the time. You're pious, you think you're better than them. You're prideful, you don't see, and you have the blinders on. I wish that you would buy from me. And so in a moment, we're going to do this, what we call the foot washing, the service of humility. And we might have some here that are kind of new to that idea. You think, you know, I, I understand the, the bread and the, the grape juice, the bread symbolizing the, the pure, unleavened bread, by the way, untainted by sin, which is symbolic of yeast in the Bible, representing God's or Jesus' life, His pure life, His works for you and for me. And then the grape juice, sometimes we call it wine, but it's unfermented wine because it's pure. It's the pure blood of Jesus Christ. It's not tainted with fermentation. And so we've recognized that and we say, yes, I want Christ's experience, his life in my life. I want his blood to be in my behalf. But this foot washing, what's that all about? Well, in John chapter 13, we have three times Jesus telling us to do this. Here in John 13, verse 14, he says, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. First time. But in case you missed it, verse 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Second time. Verse 16, continuing on, Most assuredly I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Third time. There's something in this service, and you used to think that the humiliating part was to have to wash somebody else's dirty feet. No, the humiliating part is for you to allow somebody else to wash your feet. That's the humiliating part. I'll wash everybody's feet all day long. But to allow somebody to wash my feet, that's humbling. To allow, a, to allow Jesus' life and his blood to cover my life, can't I contribute something? You can obey him out of love, but you can't contribute to your salvation. There's not one thread of human devising 
in that robe of righteousness, and that's humbling to us. We like to think we have something to offer, but they're like filthy rags. And so we're going to divide up at this time. I'm not sure if this text got it right or not. Yeah, it did, so we're going to read it. Philippians 2, 12 to 13, talks about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't fear that God's not going to be able to to make good on his promise or that he's going to stop making that available to me or that his sacrifice was not good enough. It's none of those things. It's fear that I know myself. It's fear that I know that my promises are like ropes of sand. It's fear that I know my own humanness. It's fear that I'm going to pull my hand out of the hand of the Savior. That's the fear. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works. Do you see that? God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I like to mark up passages. You surrender to God. You give yourself to God with fear and with trembling, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and God goes to work. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. I mean, that's the hardest part oftentimes to change the will, isn't it? But God says, I'll change even your desires, your inclinations, what you want, what you like, your preference. Now, there is a work for us to do, but it's all in connection with what God is doing in and through us. It's his power. It's God at work in you. And you just focus on Christ. You behold him and you'll be changed. If you're going to put your your energy anywhere, focus it on Christ, on Christ, on Christ. Eat up his word, soak it up, listen to sermons, pray constantly, read more, snack throughout the day on his word, and let God go to work for you to change your will, your want to, and what you do. And he'll do that. He He doesn't want to just give us pardon this morning. And that's a good thing. To walk out of here today saying there's nothing between my soul and my Savior, that's a good thing. He wants to give you that. But he also wants to give you power. His power. To live for him. To deliver you out of that pit of sin that you're so tired of. And so claim this verse. For it is God who works in to both will and to do of his good pleasure. And so... It is my hope this morning that we'll have a deep distrust of self today and that we'll, be, that we'll fall and be broken on the rock of Jesus Christ, that we will allow him to do what he longs to do in us. And he can't do that if we're prideful, if we bar the door, if we think we don't need him. But if we say just a very simple prayer, it's not long, it doesn't go on and on, God have mercy on me, a sinner. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.